Welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast, presented by FlickeringMyth.com. I'm your host, Court Dunn. Join us as we talk to writers about their work, their process, and what it means to be a writer. Today's episode is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash writer experience. Audible has over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast. Today's guest is Peter Cameron. Peter is a screenwriter and producer who has worked on projects for such studios as Marvel Studios, Amazon Originals, and Netflix. For Marvel Studios, Peter's credits include executive story editor and writer on WandaVision, for which he was nominated for a writing Emmy writer and producer on Moon Knight, and co-writer and consulting producer on Werewolf by Night. For Amazon Originals, he was story editor and writer on Carnival Row, and he also was the co-writer of Delusion Lies Within, an interactive horror play. Peter's upcoming project for Marvel Studios, Agatha, Coven of Chaos, for which he is a supervising producer, is estimated for release in 2023. Peter, thank you for listening to me read your bio. Hope I did you justice. Welcome to the show. And we're really excited. Very impressive resume there. How are you doing? Thanks. No, I'm doing well. Thank you. I love this show. I feel honored slash mildly anxious that you asked me to be on it, but I'm happy to be here. My first question is always, where are you in the world right now? Based on your work, I want to guess Los Angeles. So tell us, where are you based right now? And have you always been there? And how does location play a part in your work? Yeah, I'm in Los Angeles. I'm right near a concert venue called the Hollywood Bowl. My wife and I actually play a game in our apartment where we look out the window and try to guess who's playing based on the crowd walking up to tonight's show. Like sometimes it's easy. I was shocked at how much Grateful Dead fans look like Grateful Dead fans. Sometimes it's anyone's guess. Like turns out everybody loves Florence and the Machine and they're right too. As far as location... I view it as invaluable. Like, you know, even if I'm just closing my eyes and trying to map out corners of a character's bedroom, I'm often drawing on, like most writers, I suppose, like places that I've actually been to and physically stood in in my past, just to try to to flesh things out and have the memory inform the fiction. Before we talk process, I would love to talk about you and your history as a writer, your career trajectory. Can you walk us through? Did you always want to be a writer? How did you get to this point where you're writing? for, you know, Marvel Studios, obviously, you know, some of the biggest shows that are out. I've been writing stories since whenever little kids start writing stories, first for assignments in kindergarten and such. And then, you know, when I was done my homework, I would hop right over to a big blue notebook that I had with comically large lettering, start writing stories for myself. I've always been obsessed with movies and making my own movies since fourth grade. But writing itself was, I guess, was always part of a larger whole, like something that obviously had to happen before you go out and shoot whatever whatever movie my brother and I were making. And it should be mentioned that he was the bestest little brother you could ever ask for. But then in college, I fell in love with improv in college to the point where I came out to LA thinking that I wanted to be Christopher Guest. Like I wanted to make weird little comedies with a collective of friends. But I was writing dark fantasy and horror the whole time and not showing anyone a thing ever for anxiety reasons, frankly. There were years and years of studio temping and reading script coverage 
and PA work in offices and on sets, all while doing improv at night. I went through the Groundling School in the UCB. I was on a couple of house teams there, kind of performing and then producing and directing videos for them. But when I got into my first real writer's room as a writer's assistant, thanks to an awesome showrunner called Renee Echevarria, who was an amazing boss and just a kind, kind human being, the spirit in a writer's room felt collaborative in the same way that college improv had. Like everyone was working together to build something with no ego. And frankly, like I loved it so much that I panicked, like I questioned everything. And so I took a hard left to sort of chase that and kind of let comedy drift away while I buckled down on horror and genre fun. Everything that I've been writing in a vacuum, too nervous to show anyone. And by the skin of its teeth, the new game plan worked. Like my first staffing gig, once again, thanks to Renee Echevarria, was on a dark fantasy called Carnival Row. And I found some confidence through placing in script festivals and getting into USC for their grad screenwriting program, which was a wonderful learning curve for the whole thing. We always frame our episodes around themes. In this case, I would love to talk about writing a TV show, perhaps using WandaVision as an example. Does that sound like a good framework for the episode? Sure, absolutely. Awesome. I would love to start first with, we try to start at the closest point the big bang of where something begins. So we like to talk a lot about the inception of an idea. For one division, using that as the example, how did that idea come about? And at what point did you get brought on to be involved? That idea, to my understanding, and I sure don't want to be quoted as having official Marvel history canon in my brain, but my idea was that it was a combination of Kevin Feige watching sitcoms just to sort of relax and unwind at the end of every day, and seeing Wanda and Vision in a Dick Van Dyke scenario, which is an amazing setup and an amazing... You can see the poster, and the poster probably was the poster that ended up being the poster. But Jack Schaefer was brought in having worked for... And producing partner Mary Lovanos, who's amazing, having worked on other Marvel properties. And she, to my understanding, was the one that brought sort of real emotional depth to it and the spine of grief as something that could anchor the whole thing. But I was brought on so much later than that, without knowing the exact timetable, just when they were assembling a writer's room. And <laughs> I have been told that I was the very last hire. My interview was on a Thursday. I started on a Monday. And thank God, honestly, it was the most fun. I say this a lot, but I, I so mean it. Best job I've ever had in any industry period. And what does it look like to get hired? Is there a formal interview process? How does someone reach out to you on such a big show? How do they find you and say, hey, we want you to be a part of this writer's room? Again, for this one, I'm piecing together sort of snatches that I've heard. But my understanding is I was on the show called Carnival Row, which is strong female lead and magical elements and kind of a two-hander with a noir layover. And I had a sample that was sort of strong female lead and supernatural elements and about grief. And I think the combination of those things got me into the room for a meeting. And yes, it was very much a standard interview with Jack Schaefer and Mary Lovanos. And I tried to cram 70 years of character history into my head before I went in. And 
I was terrified, honestly. It was just so, there are four Iron Man suits in the Marvel lobby. And I'd been such a fanboy for all the movies and trying to just mainline all that stuff again so that it would be fresh. And I went in and I remember sort of rambling something about the Twilight Zone and rambling something about, oh, it could be this, it could be that, or just sort of comping them left, right, and center and blacking out for huge sections of the interview. And I remember leaving and saying something dumb like, oh, should I close the door? And thinking, well, that went how it went and there's nothing I can do about it. (laughs) I love that. And we don't often get into those vulnerable moments here, so I appreciate you sharing that. Tell us about the early days in the writer's room. So you get hired, you're brought on. For those writers who are listening who are maybe looking forward to their first gig as a writer in a writer's room, walk us through that feeling and those first weeks meeting people and starting to work together. Yeah, I will say on a Jack Schaefer show anyway, it's a healthy environment in a way that sort of declares itself from the get-go. Jack, the first day, sort of talked about you know this being a place of respect and this being a judgment-free zone. And it was very comfortable. And it became evident that everybody in the room was hilarious and that she'd sort of assembled a baseball team of folk who were great at very different things. And so... Again, yeah, I mean, she's such an unstoppably smart and genuine human being. Like, Jack's who I want to be when I grow up. So she gave everyone a lot of room to play. In her rooms, we start with a document The sort of, she's outlined her ambitions for the show, like tone and character journeys and themes and comps and an emotion-based shape for the season. And so for the first chunk of the actual room, she's created this wonderful space for blue sky thinking and everyone is feeling free to contribute to character work and carving out themes and storytelling ambitions and emotional tracking. And then we drill down on plot. I would love to know more about character. You mentioned even for your interview, you had delved into so much character history. How do you even approach that? And then once you're in the writer's room, how are you taking into consideration the history of these characters, but also bringing new life to them. It's such a hodgepodge, honestly. I feel like we kept toggling back and forth between you know, character arcs as we understood them. Everybody had crammed for the test in a similar way. There were key frames from decades of comics that we sort of were staring at and extrapolating without context, extrapolating out from, which was an interesting way to come about it sometimes. There was a grief consultant that came in and was wonderful for a day. And we would go around the table sharing life experiences and taking dollops from our own lives and deciding where to put them within different characters. And it was such a, it was such an organic process of discovery. And again, like she'd set such a comfortable tone that I think everybody was far more comfortable and far more comfortable being vulnerable than you'd normally expect in a lot of writer's rooms anyway. I think she just set the tone for everybody to share and filter through these characters. Over the course of WandaVision, there are many reveals. It's the kind of show that leaves you wanting to jump to the next episode and really binge that whole season. How did you go about, you mentioned plotting, both making each episode standalone, but also, as you mentioned, expanding out across the season and keep people guessing for what's coming next. I think that 
again, Jack Schaefer had assembled such a gifted baseball team of people that we had. There were a component of Bobak Esfrajani and Cam Squires and Megan McDonald. They were wonderful at pitching reversals and things that surprised. And I think as a unit, when we were mapping out the show, it was very much sort of throw things at the wall and then have a wall of ideas to grab from and just decide what order these things should go in. And I think, again, because it was so comfortable and so playful, we took a lot of pleasure in surprising each other with, well, what if this unexpected thing happened? And, you know, sort of like the Robin Williams laugh-o-meter, you know, everyone else's reaction would sort of dictate whether that would end up on the wall or not. And so we treated ourselves as viewers as much as anything else. To my memory, it was sort of like, what can I think of? Jack also assigns homework, which is wonderful. You have sort of a night to go away and she'll give a handful of questions and sort of, you know, process and digest and ruminate over and come in the next day. And so she really sets up a wonderful game of you're sitting there by yourself at the end of the day with three questions, let's say, trying to think of answers that are either going to make the room laugh or surprise them or just tell a joke for a joke's sake. Sometimes, you know, when, when you don't have a more thoughtful answer. And I think that was a really neat trick as far as coming up with a lot of the things that people weren't expecting. I would love to talk briefly about tone using as an example. Andor has recently been praised as bringing a more serious, darker, dramatic tone to Star Wars. When you made this show, I would similarly say that it has a much different tone than some of the Marvel movies. How much did tone play in? Were you guys conscious of the fact that it was so much different in tone? Or how did you go about approaching that? I think tone was something that was always a focus. What was so refreshing about WandaVision is that each episode within the show struck such a different tone that there were, you know, sort of an embarrassment of wonderful containers that each idea could fit into. And it was just a matter of, in some cases, picking, oh, would that be better in episode five or episode six? Well, you know, episode five is, you know, Malcolm in the middle or, you know, full house rather than Malcolm in the middle. That seems like a more Malcolm in the middle sort of joke or beat then it does a full house beat, let's put it into that bucket. And so it was something that we're always conscious of and really enjoying the fact that it could be so, that there was such a fluctuation, that this was the sort of show where you could have a Twilight Zone spine chill quick and then undercut it with a joke and vice versa. One could describe the show as experimental from the standpoint of a Marvel property. When you guys approached it, did you, similar to my tone question, did you know going into it that this is going to break barriers for what Marvel content has done before? And would you consider this a precedent for getting more experimental with Marvel content in the future? I don't know. I, that Boy, that question, it's a great question. It's, it's way above my pay grade. I feel like we knew that it was different than anything that Marvel had done before. We also knew that we were getting an enormous amount of support from Marvel. I mean, Kevin Feige and everyone else involved was just really excited about the ideas we're bringing them. And no one, no one told us no. It was very much sort of nothing but support. And it was a very small television slate at that time. And so there was a lot of sort of a lot of attention and a lot of just wonderful care being taken on all sides. Like everybody wanting to get it right, but getting it right didn't mean making it safe. 
in fact, we were, I think it was Kevin Feige who kept pushing the reveal that it was all Wanda's doing further and further down the line of the show, just because he was interested in playing a game of chicken with the audience in a way that like really tickled me and everybody else. I'm just like, wait, you don't think they're going to get frustrated? You want to keep the mystery going? Okay, great. Let's do it. That sounds fantastic to us. There was a lot of freedom. There are many different voices in the writer's room. How do you fit into that greater room? And how did you go about discovering where your voice fit in? Let's say between the first day and maybe a few weeks in. It's a good question. I don't know. I mean, here's the kind of writer's room writer that I hope that I am. First and foremost, I hope that I'm perceived as like a kind person in a way that can be battle tested, not just surface level. I think that I'm a listener, which you wouldn't know off of all the talking I'm doing right now. I know that I'm always trying to absorb everyone's ideas and sort of mix and match and plus to land on a hybrid version that everyone's excited about. I also love sitting in the emotional states of different characters and trying to track what they're thinking or feeling. I think I'm also a writer who pitches left field ideas a lot and really enjoys sort of writing weird little yogurt commercials where a shark is stealing a little boy's food and then you watch the little boy wither and die. And yeah, I will end my answer there. (laughs) Tell us about the process of actually writing the scripts. I know we went over the high level process. I imagine at some point everyone separates and either works on a script with another writing partner or alone, what was your process like? And how did you go about the actual script process? Let's see. The actual script process has several tiers to it, like most writers' rooms. After the blue sky thinking and tracking character and such, then we move on to sort of whiteboard story breaks, bullet points for each episode and such. But there's still, at least on that show and most shows, like there's a great sense of flexibility and organic storytelling. Eventually, we drill down enough to write story areas, basically book reports of what each episode will look like. When those are noted and approved by the studio, we move into outlines, detailed book reports, sometimes beat for beat. You're trying to convey the emotionality as much as the plot. And I suppose it should read, I guess, like a snappy short story. Then we do break up and do first drafts as solo writing time. Each writer gets time to write their own And it sort of follows the blueprint of the outline. But obviously, that's a time where you're finding new discoveries as well and making it feel as personal as you can as you move through every second of the story, which then on WandaVision and other Jack Schaefer shows, you get a table read when you come back with your first draft. Like all the writers are playing different parts, which is always delightful. And then that segues into more notes from studio which leads to subsequent drafts, and then ultimately a showrunner pass to sort of iron anything that still needs to be ironed at that point, or sprinkling new ideas that have come up in the interim, and overall give the show an extra layer of feeling like it was all crafted by the same pair of hands. We have a lot of writers on this podcast. Do you like what writers write? Do you like free stuff? Well, Audible is offering a free audiobook download for listeners of the Writer Experience Podcast with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. I recently downloaded James Joyce's Ulysses for my commutes into the city, while our producer Harry, who may or may not exist, has been enjoying J.R.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit. To download your free audiobook today, 
go to audibletrial.com slash writer experience. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash writer experience for your free audiobook. What's your favorite film of all time? It might be a sophisticated classic, a childhood favorite, or an enjoyable pile of trash you just can't help but watch over and over again. The Pick of the Flicks podcast, hosted by me, Tom Beasley, is all about celebrating people's favorite movies in whatever form they take. Each week, I interview a different guest about their chosen favorite, whether I agree with their choice or think they're as mad as one of Tom Hardy's accents. So tune in to Pick of the Flicks every week on the Flickering Myth Podcast Network and subscribe with your podcast app of choice. Maybe your favorite film will be next. Hi, I'm George. And I'm Sam. And we're from the That's a Classic podcast on the Flickering Myth Network. We both bring three films each from a certain genre and we battle it out to find out which is the ultimate classic. So you can listen to us on Flickr and Myth, iTunes or Spotify. Check out what classic we choose every week. Once the scripts are close to complete, what does production look like? I've heard that there are tiered production where sometimes when you're still writing, production can happen. For this show, did you finish all episodes before you started production and then what was your involvement as that transitioned from pre-production writing process to the production phase? On WandaVision, it was, I believe it was at the tail end of the room that Matt Shackman, the director, got hired. The writer's room wrapped. We did have all episodes written. And that was that was all she wrote. Like, you know, the writer's room wrapped. We all went home. We got little updates from Jack from time to time about how it was going and how exciting things were just to help cure our FOMO. And she was sort of head writer on set and doing you know, adjustments and rewriting and seeing it through. And then into the post-production, what is your involvement then? Are writers ever leveraged to come back in and help write in any way, whether that's on set or whether that's the post-production? Does anyone ever lean on you guys to come in and help with the edit or get involved at any point in that phase? Not on WandaVision. But certainly on other shows, I've had different experiences where I've been hired to sort of parachute in, so to speak, and do ADR or give notes on every cut of something that's already, you know, been through several edits or reshoots, sort of structure scenes that can go in and sort of bolster characters that aren't getting the reaction and test screenings that everybody wanted, you know, the audience to be having. It can manifest in any way, shape, or form in post. Sometimes it's very light, and sometimes there is a lot of reliance on a writer to come in and sort of stitch those things together that aren't quite working yet. And then obviously, at some point, the show comes out. I would love to hear, especially for the writers who are listening, who are excited for that day where the show that they're working on is on TV or a major platform. Walk us through the emotions that you went through as you watched each episode and also you know, heard audience reactions. Obviously, this is a beloved show. So you must have been relieved in that sense. Walk us through your emotions, just finally having this project out the door. It was incredible. I will say my brain was relieved that because it had been such an incredible experience from stem to stern, it was a beautiful thing to have a show that connected with so many people and to have the entirety of the experience be equally great through every stage. I feel like that's such a rarity in Hollywood, let alone life. And it was just sort of on some level, an emotional perfection is how it felt. Like it felt like 
wow, like the result is somehow as satisfying as the process of making it. And that's something that now that it's over, no one can take that away. That's just, you know, the bond with the other writers and the fun we had making it is now somehow connected to this, this thing that's resonating with people. I mean, sadly, in the worst way, as far as everybody feeling trapped inside, just like Wanda, grieving just like Wanda. I mean, the timing was a beautiful tragedy on some level. But certainly as far as making something that has a reach and resonance, couldn't ask for anything more satisfying than that. It was amazing. I'm so grateful for it. You obviously also worked on other Marvel shows, Werewolf by Night and Moon Knight. How did writing this show compare to working on those other shows? Again, I hate to repeat myself, but it was WandaVision really was the best job I'd had in any industry, period. And I was on other shows in different parts of the process. I came in at different stages on some of the other ones. And each one had their own, you know, their own challenges, but also like so many, so many wonderful things came out of it. I got to work with a buddy, Sabra Perzada, who's an incredible writer on Moon Knight. And he and I were sort of just partners in the process and, you know, sharing our writer's room and a transfo van and you know, we joke that we shared everything but a toothbrush for a year on and off working on Moon Knight. And that had, oh man, alive, like working with Oscar Isaac and Ethan Hawke. I mean, that was so, that was so interesting to sort of, to sort of be around brains like theirs and, and be, be present for when they were treating the scenes as they would an indie film. I really learned a lot about sort of the trappings not being important at all. It was all about, you know, it doesn't matter whether you're on top of a pyramid or in a commune. These two people are staring each other face to face. They have something to say to each other. They have something to express. And the budget just falls away and becomes about the character work. And I, I love that they treated it like that. They treated it with the, with the seriousness and the thoughtfulness that they would, you know, going to do a, a Kerouac adaptation or something. It was really, it was lovely to see them treat it so seriously. I mentioned briefly in your bio that you're also working on Marvel Studios' Agatha Coven of Chaos. Obviously, we can't talk about that in detail, but from a high level, where do you see your career going? Where do you want to be? What's your five, 10 year plan? Think about that. Well, I can't say much about what's next. I was sort of lamely joking with my wife this morning that turns out 80% of my career is a massive NDA, but I'd love to keep doing any version of what I've been doing. I love telling stories that are personal to me and hopefully feel intimate regardless of scope through a genre lens. I'd also love to direct again someday, hopefully a weird little horror movie or something like that. Growing up, my brother and I had a production company named after our dog, Beacon. And God, it would be incredible to resurrect that if he ever wants to stop working in finance and do weird little horror movies with me again, which having said that, I'm not going to send this podcast to him because I sound desperate. I love that. Moving on to the final session of the interview, Peter, are you ready for what we call a series of seemingly random questions? Yeah, even more like improv. Let's go for it. The first question was going to be about improv. What is the relationship between your experience with improv and actually writing? And maybe you teased it earlier that improv is like being in a writer's room, but 
Is there a particular example from that process that you can cite? I find that I suspect it's true for 99% of writers. You're really just doing everything that you would in an improv scenario in a writer's room. I mean, you're building something together. And instead of one person inhabiting you know, each character, anyone can chime in to give that character a voice, which is a lot of fun. And when I'm sitting by myself, I'm just playing both parts, sometimes out loud, which is, you know, not something you want your three-year-old to hear at times, and lest he think that that has gone crazy. And sometimes in my head where you're just, what would these two people say to each other? And just letting, removing yourself from the equation as much as you can and letting characters just speak to each other. The next bonus question, do you experience... I have to preface it with that because I know sometimes people don't have writer's block, but do you experience writer's block and how do you combat it? Writer's block is probably the only writer cliche I haven't battled so far. I play this trick on myself that I heard the Coen brothers do too, which was validating beyond belief. So I doubled down on my belief in it. They tried to have three or four projects going at the same time, each with a very different tone. That way you're always in the mood to jump into one of them. And so I adopted that and really enjoy it. The next question, what motivates you to keep creating and writing every day? I hope to God this doesn't sound like a humble brag, but it doesn't take much motivation. I just, I love it. With the simple joy of a child, like I've always done it. I can't imagine not doing it. It's one of the absolute best parts of life. The next question, if you could be any Marvel character that you've written for, who would you choose and why? I would choose Vision. Hands down. I think he, yeah, guy's got it all when it comes from when he isn't being made to die over and over again. Everything he does comes from a good place. He values logic as much as he values emotion, but he's got an endless capacity for both. He's definitely my spirit animal as far as remaining outwardly calm in a crisis. Yeah, vision. The next question if you could suggest a question that we ask one of our next guests, what question would you ask and why? I would love to hear from the next producer that you have on how good at math you have to be to grasp the inner workings of a show budget. Because it's safe to say I'm not Matt Damon's character from Goodwill Hunting. And yet I yearn. Moving on to the next question. If you could take any writer, living or dead, to any fast food restaurant, which writer would you take? To which <laughs> restaurant? Now we always say fast food. And it gets different reactions. A lot of people don't want to choose a fast food restaurant. You can, you can't. What writer, what restaurant, and why? I'll make it easy on myself. I'd love to take Stephen King wherever he wants to go. I just feel like in every one of the thousands of interviews I've listened to, he just seems so relaxed and wise and egoless. And I just want to, I want to buy him a milkshake and study at his feet for however long that seems appropriate. Love that. You mentioned earlier in the episode that part of your early success was submitting scripts to script festivals and working your way up. Before we get to our last question, which is the one learning from your entire career, in regards to a new writer or an aspiring writer breaking in, getting their foot in the door, what is your advice? My advice is there are definitely script festivals that are immensely helpful. Nichols, obviously, and Austin Film Fest and there are a real number of them that seem to sort of the blacklist, obviously, that launch careers overnight. You know, that's the story of the 10 year overnight success. 
a lot of the script festivals can be that overnight success, so to speak. In general, I try to guide writers, young writers, towards making things, making things with friends, just to experience the creative process and all facets of it. I really do believe in sort of finding your tribe and rising through the ranks with them. I think that once you've battle tested your friends and you find true lifelong collaborators that are also good people, like my God, cling to them like grim death. I really do believe in sort of that the support system that you create for yourself is perhaps the only way to really navigate Hollywood successfully. And the last question, even more specifically, if you could choose one thing from your entire career to pass along to the writers who are listening, what's the one thing that you would say? I would say put as much work into yourself, conquering anxiety or whatever it is that you're carrying that's affecting your ability to engage with every day and live the life you want to live. Put as much energy into that and dealing with that as you do in your work. Whatever progress you can make, I feel like will feed your creative life like crazy. Thank you. Peter, we've arrived. I always use the analogy of a quick one-hour flight from New York City to Toronto. By the time you get into the <laughs> you're landing, and it's so tough to talk about and get thorough and process, but I hope we were able to scratch the tip of the iceberg. And my next question, did you have fun today? I had a great time. Our toddler had me up at 4 a.m. this morning, so I knew I'd be rambly, but hopefully there is two cents of actual thought to scrape together here. It's been an honor. Peter, obviously we shouted out Marvel Studios' Agatha Coven of Chaos. Can't talk about it, but you are a supervising producer and it's estimated to release in 2023. For those who are listening, let's all stay tuned. Thank you, Peter. It's really been an honor. Thank you so much. Is there anything you want to shout out or any sort of socials or Twitter or Instagram or website that people can find you? Let's see. I'm on Instagram. I post weird little pictures that make me happy or stuff about movie films. Oh, also, I'd love to get the word about like a Friends Awesome project that I literally had nothing to do with. There's a new Blumhouse movie called Soft and Quiet, starring a really good friend of mine, Stephanie Estes. And the movie's great. She's terrific in it. And clearly, I can't say enough about it. So check it out. I had nothing to do with it. <laughs> awesome. I appreciate you shouting that out. If you're listening, please check it out. Peter, thank you so much. It really has been an honor talking to you about all things WandaVision and writing and process. And we hope to have you back on sometime again. No, I so appreciate it. Thank you very much. This has been lovely. <laughs> Thank you again, Peter. And thanks to our listeners. We hope to see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to The Writer Experience. If you enjoyed the episode today, please leave a rating, a review, and a comment on iTunes. You can also check us out on Instagram at Writer Experience and Twitter and Facebook at Writer EXP. The Writer Experience is a Samurai Dinosaur production. Copyright 2019. All rights reserved. Music by Kevin McLeod.